If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll begin reading with verse number 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. The title of my message today is Principles of Effective Prayer. Principles of Effective Prayer. James said uh, that the prayer of a righteous man, meaning righteous person, righteous individual, is powerful and effective. And I believe in this prayer of Nehemiah, we see some principles for praying prayers that are effective that reach the throne room of Almighty God. Now, what is the context of this prayer? Well, uh, Israel was in exile, and Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king in this uh, time of exile. And he got reports, uh, as we read, from uh, those who had been to Jerusalem, who had been to the holy city, and the report wasn't good. The walls of the city were broken down, and uh, he said the, 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 the gates had been burned with fire, and uh, the, this once great city had been turned, uh, for the most part, to rubble. And Nehemiah's heart was grieved. 
and he felt like God had raised him up to do something about the situation. You know, we can lament the world around us and the sin and the state of things in our culture. There's a lot to lament, isn't there? There's a lot of, uh, 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 there are a lot of negative things in our world. We can lament it and wring our hands and say how terrible it is, or uh, we can lament it but then say, Lord, use me to make a difference. Use me to shine a light. Use me to bring about change. You see, the enemy of our souls wants to lull us to sleep, saying the problems are too big, the challenges are too great, and you, little old you, little Joe or Josephine Christian, you can't make a difference. But I'm here to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. We can make a difference in our corner of this dark world. We can be used of God uh, to bring about change, to bring about righteousness, to bring about the plan of Almighty God. How many believe that today? But the key, the beginning place, is the place of prayer. It's seeking God. And that's what Nehemiah did. And in this prayer, uh, as he prepared to approach the king uh, to receive permission to go and bring about change in the sad state of the holy city, he began by calling on Almighty God. How many know that's a good idea? God will call us to do things that are too big for us, which by definition means we need to seek the face of God beforehand and during and after. Hallelujah. So let's look this morning at some principles of effective prayer. Um, number one, effective prayer depends on the character of God. Depends on the character of God. Notice in the beginning of his prayer here in verses 5 and 6, he describes God as he's praying to God. He refers to him as the God of heaven. Uh, that, you know, we live on earth. So when you refer to the God of heaven, you're saying God who is higher than me. God who is exalted. God who is in the highest place. He refers to him as great. Surely if the word, you know, we, we overuse words, don't we? You know, we have a good meal this afternoon at lunch. We say, boy, that was great. And I must confess, I like to eat and I've referred to many a meal as great. <laughs> and we use, we throw that word around. But when you talk about God, he is truly great. Amen? He's the definition of the word great. So he refers to him as God of heaven, great, awesome. And the word awesome, that's another overused word. It's from a root word for fear. And fear is in the sense of awe and respect. Our God is an awe-inspiring God. When's the last time you just contemplated who God is? Just thought about who he is. You know, we, we go to prayer and we ask God for our needs and we should do that. The Bible tells us to do that. But I believe we should spend some time just contemplating who the God that we serve is. The scripture says he spoke the universe into existence. It says by him all things consist. Do you know if our planet... Uh, varied just uh, 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 by uh, its, its course around the sun by 1%, either closer or further away, we would all be destroyed. 
It was 1% closer, we'd burn up. 1% fur further, we'd freeze to death. Who keeps the planets on their course? The awe-inspiring God. He's awesome. He's truly awesome. He's the God of heaven. He's great. He's awesome. And, and I love this. He said, the God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. He keeps his covenant. What's a covenant? It's an agreement between two parties. The Bible is full of covenants that God has established. And he keeps his covenant of love. He loves you. His covenant with us is based on his love for us. And God keeps his covenant of love for those who love him and obey his commands. You see, firstly and, and primarily, our, the effectiveness of our prayers depends first of all on the one to whom we're praying. And it of necessity has to be that way. There are people today in our world who are praying to gods of their own making, gods of their own imagination, physical gods that they have created uh, from the elements of this earth. And they're as sincere as they can be. Sincerity is important, but it's not enough. There are millions of people today praying, sincerely praying to gods who don't exist. We pray to the one who reigns on high. We pray to the one true God. Hallelujah. Scripture says God is a rewarder of those who believe that he is and diligently seek him. It depends on his character. Not only does he exist, but he keeps his covenant of love. His ear is attuned to our prayer. We never have time, we never have, I, I told you a few months ago about trouble I was having with a phone order. It's still not fully resolved. I've probably called 35 times. You have trouble. I, I, a couple weeks ago before Christmas I called, I got, it was in uh, phone prompt purgatory. You know, one to the other and oh, and they sent me to, you know, we have trouble getting through. We never have trouble getting through to God because of who he is. His ear is attuned to our cry. Amy Carmichael, missionary to India's children, said her ability to trust God began with her confidence in God's character. She believed that God is first and always a loving father. She believed that God was in control and everything he allowed into her life was ultimately for her good. And as she, quote, tucked herself into God, unquote, by trusting him as a little child, she believed she, he was able to carry her through all things. And like Amy Carmichael, we need to place our confidence in God's character to trust that he is in control, that he is wise, that he cares deeply for every circumstance we are in. When we pray to him, uh, you know, we, we, we don't always get all the words right and we don't have to come to him with flowery language and just get our, you know, every word perfectly. We just need to pour out our heart to him because it doesn't depend on our ability to impress him. It doesn't depend on our ability to be eloquent. It depends on who he is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the word of God says he doesn't change. As I referenced earlier, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. He doesn't have a bad day. He doesn't get sick and tired of hearing from us. He longs to hear from us. He is the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. 
Your prayers today, my prayers today, they depend on the character of the one to whom we're praying, the character of Almighty God. What's the second uh, uh, principle of effective prayer? Is that it, it is that it demands confession of our sin. He said here in verses, uh, the latter part of verse 6 and verse 7, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Confession of sin is an integral part of our prayer, of effective prayer. Of, of coming to God. We don't come in our pride, we come in our humility. Confessing. I don't care how long we've known the Lord, how many years or decades we've served him, we, we always still fall short, don't we? We have to come to him and say, Lord, I confess, like we sang this morning. Lord, I, I've fallen short. Lord, Lord, help me with my attitudes. Help me with uh, my thought life. Help me with, Lord, what I do and, 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 and every part of my life. Forgive me for that attitude, the way I treated so and so. And we find this in effective prayer. If you look at the book of Daniel, and you look at Daniel's prayer to Almighty God, he has similar language to what Nehemiah has here. Prayer to God that offers confession of sin. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us. Wash us. David in Psalm uh, 51, uh, his prayer after he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, he said, against you and you only have I sinned, Lord. Wash me clean. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. God responds to repentant hearts. He does. And John said in 1 John, uh, my little children, I write to you that you sin not, but if you sin, uh, we, uh, we, we c confess your sin to Almighty God. We have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, and he will forgive your sin. Effective prayer demands confession of sin. Lord, we've fallen short. Lord, we confess. Lord, see, see if, as I referenced Psalm 51, David said, see if there be some wicked way in me. There are sins of commission, there are sins of omission. There are sins that we need to be reminded of. We forget things, right? I mean, I do. More and more as time goes by. And, we, and part of that is we forget how we've sinned. We, that, that sharp word, that attitude, that thought that wasn't pleasing to God, whatever it might be. And so it's a prayer that says, See if there be some wicked way. Show me my sin. Now, you don't pray that kind of prayer unless you mean business with God. Because we like to think well of ourselves, don't we? Lord, show me. See if there be some wicked way in me. We confess our sin. A number of years ago, a productivity expert, Merlin Mann, coined a phrase that has gained a certain amount of traction. It's called inbox zero. Have you heard that phrase? Inbox zero. It's about staying on top of your email inbox in order to reclaim your attention and take control of your life. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many people have hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of emails that, you've, that you don't have a chance of reading. Um, but uh, the idea is if you stay on top of it and make it a regular exercise, you can uh, you know, reduce your unread emails to zero and um, you become more efficient and more productive. 
Imagine if we as believers treated our lives the same way when it comes to sin. Inbox zero. While we're being sanctified through the Holy Spirit, we still fall to sin. As we said, our need of daily repentance. How often do we ask the Lord for forgiveness? It should be something daily. Keep that sin inbox, if you will, uh, down to zero. Lord, I confess. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, wash me. Lord, forgive me. Search my heart. See what's there. Someone used to say it this way, keep short accounts with God. Don't let unconfessed sin sit in your inbox. Andy Stanley said, secrets lose their power when exposed to light. The light that exposes our secrets and frees the heart from the oppressive power of guilt is confession. I already referenced the scripture in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, look in my heart. See if there be something that's not, not pleasing to you. Lord, I confess. Cleanse me, Lord. Wash me. It demands, effective prayer demands confession of sin. Thirdly, this morning, effective prayer demonstrates confidence in God's promises. In verse 8, he says, remember the instruction you gave to Moses. You said, but if you return to me, I will scatter you, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then no matter how far you're scattered, I will gather them and bring them to the place I've chosen from my name. Nehemiah said to God, they are your servants and your people who you, you redeemed by your hand, by your great strength and your mighty hand. They were scattered, they were exiled because of their disobedience to God. But God said, I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to bring restoration. Hallelujah. I love that scripture. It says, God's anger lasts but a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's faithful. He keeps his promises. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, church, God made some, some promises to me about this church a number of years ago. I've shared them time to time. And, uh, you know, the last three and a half years, it's been four, almost four years, it's, it, it's been challenging to believe in him. I'll, I'll just be honest with you as your pastor. But I believe God is faithful. He keeps his promises. There's not a word that comes from his mouth that falls to the ground, but he watches over his word to perform it. How many know what I'm talking about? Some of you have heard promises from God, and you've gone through struggles. You've gone through difficulties, and you've uh, been tempted to doubt. You've been tempted to give up. You've been tempted to give in and say, you know, I, I don't know about that promise. I thought I heard what God said, but I, I'm not so sure. But I'm here to tell you, God keeps his word. It doesn't matter how long it is. He is faithful and watch over his word to perform it in your life. Come on. You see, I have to believe that. This, hallelujah. That's yes, give him praise. I have to believe that today or I'm in the wrong business. And, and, and you're just here wasting your time if we don't believe that. Love that song, Whose Report Will You Believe? I choose to believe the word of the Lord. 
Hallelujah. We walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible is full of scriptures to remind us to trust in the promises of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Hallelujah. He keeps his promises. Don't let go of the promises God's given to you. Dust them off if you need to. Bring them front and center and hold on to them because God keeps his promises. Promises for your life, for your finances, for your family, for those unsaved children. God's going to bring them back. Hallelujah. God's going to bring them back. You trust in God. You call out their name. You, 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 you quote God's promises like you still believe in them. Heard a story about a man named Roger Sims. He was hitchhiking his way home. He would never forget the date. It was May 7th. He had just been um, honorably discharged from the military, from the army. He was hitchhiking home. He was anxious to take off his army uniform and settle into civilian life and flashed the hitchhiking sign to an oncoming car and he saw that it was a black, sleek, new Cadillac. He thought, oh, that guy's not stopping for me. But to his surprise, the driver did stop. The passenger door opened. He got in the car, tossed his suitcase in the back, and uh, settled into conversation with the driver who asked him, he said, are you going home for keeps? He said, I sure am. He said, well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago. He said, not quite that far. Do you live in Chicago? The driver said, yes, I have a business there. My name is Hanover. So after chit-chatting and talking about uh, many things as they were driving along, Roger, who was a Christian, felt a compulsion to witness to this 50-ish, uh, apparently successful businessman about Christ. But he kept putting it off. You know how you do. You got nervous. And finally, when they were about 30 minutes from his home, he uh, said to himself, it's now or never. So he cleared his throat. He said, Mr. Hanover, I'd like to talk to you about something very important. And he said, okay, go ahead. And so he began to explain the way of salvation to him, ultimately asking Mr. Hanover if he would like to receive Christ as his Savior. And to his astonishment, the Cadillac pulled off to the side of the road, and he thought, okay, I've, I've done it now. I'm getting booted out of the car. The man said, I would very much like to receive Jesus. And he bowed his head on that steering wheel and wept as Roger led Mr. Hanover, this successful businessman, led him to receive Jesus Christ. Afterward, after the prayer, he thanked Roger. He said, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And so they drove on the other 30 minutes. He dropped him off. Five years went by. Roger, in the meantime, married, had a two-year-old boy, and had a business of his own. And he was packing his suitcase uh, for a business trip to Chicago and he came across the business card Mr. Hanover had given him. So he took that card with him and uh, he, uh, when he got to Chicago, he looked up Hanover Enterprises, he called the number and asked to see Mr. Hanover. Receptionist said that wouldn't be possible, but he could see Mrs. Hanover. And so he was a little confused as to what was going on. He was ushered into a beautiful, beautifully furnished office and found himself uh, sitting across a desk from a, a very sharp, very keen-eyed, 50-ish uh, year old woman. And uh, she extended a hand, shook his hand, greeted him, and said, you knew my husband. And so he told the story uh, of how uh, Mr. Hanover had given him a ride five years before and 
Uh, and uh, she said, do you remember the date? He said it was May the 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the Army. And he said, anything special about that day? Uh, and Roger hesitated, and then he said, well, said, I, I do want you to know that I explained the gospel to your husband. And he pulled over to the side of the road and wept against the steering wheel and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And when Roger said that, Mrs. Hanover began to shake with sobs. And she sobbed and sobbed. When she finally got a grip on herself, she said, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believed that God would save him. Roger said, Mrs. Hanover, where is your husband? She said, my husband is dead. He was in a car crash after he let you out of the car on that day, May the 7th, and never got home. You see, she said, I thought God had not kept his promise, and I stopped living for God because I thought he had not kept his word. But now I know God kept his promise. Hallelujah. We serve a covenant-keeping God. We serve a promise-keeping God today. And what he has promised to, in your life, he will bring it to pass. Trust in him. Trust in him. When we go to prayer, we are going to a God who keeps his promises. Look at some of God's promises in Scripture. In Hebrews 13, 5, he promised his presence. Never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. Genesis 15, 1, he promised protection. I am your shield. Isaiah 41, 10, his power and provision. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you. Jeremiah 29, 11, his purposes. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he promised his rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Burdened, and I will give you rest. Psalm 84, 11, his goodness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. In 1 Samuel 12, 22, his faithfulness. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people. In Psalm 25, 9, his guidance. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. And in Romans 8, 28, his wise plan. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He is a God who keeps his promises. Hallelujah. What's the fourth principle of effective prayer? Is that it delivers courage to act. When we pray, God infuses us with his courage. Prayer was the beginning. Following that was action. Nehemiah had to act. He had to go to the king. He served at the king's pleasure. The king was not obligated to let him go. Matter of fact, the king could take his life with just a spoken word. But you see, when, 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 when you have a divine calling, when you have a divine unction and you go to God in prayer, he will, bring, he will give you courage to act. He will give you courage to speak to that person. He will give you courage to take that step. He will give you courage to make that commitment and to do whatever needs to be done for him. He will give you the courage. And I say to you, in 2024, God wants many of us to step out of our comfort zone. 
It's time. It's time. He wants us to seek his agenda. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things, all the things you desire will be added unto you. It's time for us to seek his agenda. It's time for us to say, Lord, I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone to seek him in prayer and to believe him to receive the courage we need to act on his behalf and do what he calls us to do. That's how God does great things through ordinary people. When they seek him, he infuses them with divine courage. And Nehemiah received the courage, the courage to go to the king. He prayed, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Courage comes from God. Who do you think would win a fight between a pit bull and a poodle? We would think the pit bull, right? Before you say that the poodle doesn't have a chance, there was a news report coming out of a Swedish news agency. A poodle apparently attacked a pit bull in southern Sweden and wounded the dog and its owner. The poodle's owner defended the action of the dog, saying the poodle was friendly until the pit bull showed signs that it disliked the poodle. Uh, that, that pit bull felt the wrath of that poodle when it went on the offensive. Trying to rescue the pit bull, its owner stepped in between the dogs and got bit on her leg by the poodle. Now that's courage. <laughs> To, you know, the pit bull has a reputation. I asked you who would win the battle. We all, some, somebody said, I heard it, but we all thought the pit bull would. Why? Because a pit bull has a reputation. And you know what? Satan has a reputation. He's evil. He's powerful. And he is those things. And we think, you know, compared to that pit bull of an enemy, I'm just a little poodle. What can I do? Well, in your own strength, not much. But infused with the power of Almighty God, we can tear that uh, demonic pit bull limb from limb. Hallelujah. Because greater is he that is in us than he who, that is in the world. Come on, church. We either believe this or we don't. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We may feel like a little pit bull up against, a little poodle, excuse me, up against a pit bull. But when we have the strength of Almighty God, he infuses us with his power. He infuses us with his courage to say, uh, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Hallelujah. Scripture after scripture reminds us that he is with us. That no enemy can stand before us when we move forward in the power of God. My prayer for us in 2024 is that God would infuse us with divine courage to say, Lord, I'm not talking about being foolhardy. I'm not talking about being presum presumptuous. That's why we pray first. We get our marching orders. We speak when he says speak. We act when he says act. If he doesn't say act or doesn't say speak, we don't do a thing. But we hear his voice, and when he tells us to act, when he tells us to move forward, when he tells us to speak to that influential person or to take that action or to take that risk, we know we've heard from God and we have courage to act. That's what effective prayer does.
Hallelujah. Max Lucado said this in his book, Facing Your Giants. How long since you ran toward your challenge? We tend to retreat behind a desk of work or crawl into a nightclub of distraction or a bed of forbidden love. For a moment, a day, or a year, we feel safe, insulated, anesthetized. But then the work runs out, the liquor wears off, or the lover leaves, and we hear Goliath again, booming, bombastic. He says, try a different tack. Rush your giant with a God-saturated soul. Hallelujah. And that's my prayer for us, that God, in these uh, days of prayer, that we would, and beyond, not, you know, prayer doesn't end after this week, but that we would, we would pray and seek God effectively, and that he would saturate our souls. We would have the courage to do what he calls us to do. Conclusion this morning, God answered Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah spoke to the king and was given permission to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the city's walls, and he did just that. Because God answers prayer. So what are the principles of effective prayer? First of all, it depends on the character of God. It's because of who he is that we can go to him in prayer. It demands confession of our sin. Keep short accounts with God. Keep our sin inbox down to zero. Confess our sin, receive forgiveness, and move on. Hallelujah. It demonstrates confidence in God's promises that he does what he says he will do. We believe that, don't we, church? And fourthly, it delivers courage to act. Courage to act. Courage to do what he calls us to do. Are you open? This first Sunday of 2024, are you open to God bringing you out of your comfort zone to taking new territory for him? Are you ready to move forward? Or do we just want to tread water? Do we just want to be, you know, like the guinea pig on the wheel? Spending energy but not getting anywhere. I know we all have periods like that. But God wants to move us forward. And it begins with effectively praying and seeking his face.